This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the guest and host, and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten, and today I'm joined by 3L Dylan Herriger. He was previously joined the show to talk about being the co-founder of the Student Sports Law Network, but now he's here to discuss being the founding editor-in-chief for the UNH Sports Law Review. Congrats on getting this rolling. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for those who aren't in the legal field, let's start super baseline. What is a law review or a law journal, and what's the importance of it? It's a great question. Um, so a law review or a law journal is typically a student-run publication. Um, the majority of schools at least have a couple, if not more. Um, they can vary from um, just general topics all the way down to like environmental law, sports law, entertainment, tech, things like that. So they can get very specific. Um, the purpose of them is a couple things. A, it allows professors and scholars in the field and some students, depending on the journal's acceptance uh, policies, um, to get their papers published and out there and to provoke thought and, and get new information out there on the pressing issues in whatever field the journal's publishing in. On the other side, it also lets students work directly with scholars um, on these topics and learn more about it and refine their editing skills as well as research skills, checking the citations and everything, plus building those relationships with the people in the field they might be interested in. Um, a lot of law firms want to see that practice mm-hmm. because it's, can you edit this? Can you read this? Can you do the research and fine tune it to where it's perfect? And it's really diligent with the with the citations and the formatting of everything. So that's kind of who it benefits for application um, of submitting the journal entries, as well as the student side, what they're able to do on uh, from you know, a career building standpoint. Um, and just being in school and developing their skills further to prepare for the legal field. And something that was really interesting to, with regards, especially law journals, I don't know about other fields specifically, but it it's interesting that you guys are literally editing law professors' work that is submitted sometimes. Sometimes it's other students, sometimes it's working attorneys, but th- that must be a little intimidating at first to consider. Definitely. So, you know, it's it's you see some tweets about it too and, and law professors and people in the field who submit this kind of talking about that aspect. I've seen a lot of stuff on law Twitter, as they call it, popping <laughs> up lately, um, talking about the dynamic. And it certainly is interesting because the professors or the scholars in the field and even the students who are really putting the time to write a 20 to 50 page note on something um, are very, very um, understanding of the topic. They're entrenched in it, right? They've been working in it. So I think it's very daunting, as you said, as a student to be like, I've now been in law school for two or three years. Now I'm going to tell this, you know, professor or scholar. Actually, like, can you can you tweak this a little bit? And I think it would sound better that way. Or where's that blue book site? Is that is that right? Mm-hmm. Or how? so it's it's definitely a balance of, of how you convey that and, and working with them. And I think most authors are pretty open to the feedback, especially they they usually submit quite a bit, so they're kind of used to working with the students. But it's definitely an interesting balance and kind of the other way around. As you think as a student, now you're kind of. Um, controlling the aspect of the edits there uh, quite a bit. And you, you had a kickoff uh, event on, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, February 22nd. So last night you had a kickoff event. And I was really interested hearing that you did extensive work with the librarians here at the law school to make sure that you're listed in the correct places and you're getting recognized as a, a real law journal. Yeah. And, and that's like the whole administrative process to starting a journal and just any journal that's active is updating and making sure you're registered with the Library of Congress. Um, we went with our IP clinic here to talk about potential trademark and copyright issues. Um, you know, with the library working to get the UNH scholars, what we use at Scholastica, um, to get the repository built out. So there's a submission page and where everything can be housed in one spot. And then working with you as well to get the web page up on the actual UNH uh, Franklin Pierce School of Law website 
to kind of link in there. So there's a lot of intricate details they're working with the librarians to get training on how the student editors actually maintain the repository site and just communicating with, um, you know, all of our um, IT and different departments here on campus that work with uh, that admin side of getting things up and running on the internet. It's like starting a small business ultimately because you got to work, you got to get the whole outreach. You got to be seen like, no, this is real. We're putting something together. We hope people respect and 10 years down the line, hopefully it'll still be going and people will look at it. Like uh, Professor Kowalski had an article that was in a uh, in the last edition of Risk, which is an IP journal that we used to have here at UNH Franklin Pierce. And it was republished just a few months ago in, in a textbook. So, so that it really, uh, you need to be sure to have that respect behind it. Exactly. And there's definitely a bunch of boxes to check and, and a lot of conversations and meetings. You know, it, it took almost two years. Um, obviously, the pandemic slowed some things down with people not being able to come and meet in person. There's there's some, uh, you know, logistical issues there, but Zoom made it a little easier and a lot of phone calls here and there. But it, it definitely was a process and uh, really thankful all those uh, you know that helped us out and, and we're so involved. We found that the community at, you know, the law school was really receptive to this idea and really supported it. Um, especially Professor Kavicki and Professor mm -hmm. Zago, um, they were awesome and, and really gave us the blueprint to get this up and running from an admin standpoint, all the dean's offices as well. So you also have faculty involved with this. Professor McCann is your faculty advisor, correct? And that, that, what, what's his role going to be? Yeah, that is correct. So he will be the faculty advisor. So basically he'll oversee uh, the student cohort that will take over next year once I graduate in May. Um, so basically he'll just be there to su provide support generally. Um, the way the operations manual outlines it, it talks to the students that are going to take this over on how they approach the business office and what they need to exhaust before they reach out to the business office, as well as reach out to Professor McCann. He's always there to help. He's always very hands-on. Um, but it kind of the journal was supposed to be student-run mm -hmm. with the you know the oversight of Professor McCann um, in the business office for any questions there. So hopefully, um, you know his involvement will be just factoring what topics we're going to write about, helping out with events, um, overseeing the final publication, attending the symposium, and helping solicit articles, um, and just kind of just to be there for us to lean on as we have questions. So why sports law? Why do you feel like that was a focus that warrants uh, something that is going to have multiple articles submitted to every year and hopefully will be important going forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think if you look at our school, obviously, we're really well known for IP, intellectual property. There's some overlap there with sports. Uh, we have Idea, the Intellectual Property Journal, uh, one of the most prominent ones in the country. We also have a really awesome you know, law review, just UNH Law Review, which is an excellent publication. It's always highly submitted and well attended for those symposiums as well. So we thought, okay, we're having a lot of growth in our school. Our current residential class, I think, is around 140 for the 1Ls. My 3L class is only about 90 now. Mm -hmm. So you see how much is increasing. The hybrid application is increasing. So we figured there's a natural fit for a third law review or journal on campus. And a lot of students come here for sports law. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we figured with the interest there and how many students we're having in the, in the projected growth, it just was a natural fit. Um, the area of sports law is very broad, as we discussed at the event last night. Um, but we want to tailor it down to have submissions that are based on like intercollegiate athletics for the spring, potentially pro sports next year if there's another big issue that pops up, like special issues and things like that. So we just felt this, the school's reputation, the sports law field already, Professor McCann's reputation um, the sports and entertainment lines that we have on campus, combined with the student growth and the student interest in the field of sports law at our school, um, it was just really a natural fit for us. Yeah, there's many as many uh, 
themes that I constantly encounter is I've been doing a podcast with Professor McCann for two and a half years, basically. He's one of the first guests I had on the show. And there's constant themes that I imagine leaves a lot of room for uh, future articles, whether it's contracts, antitrust. If I have to hear it talk about antitrust again, I'm <laughs> like, it's just, oh my God, I'm so sick of talking about antitrust. But it's so important with regards to large organizations like the NCAA and leagues, uh, as well as unions interacting with it. And then there's the entertainment side is so integral because the NFL doesn't exist if it doesn't have broadcast rights going out to, to mm-hmm. different stations for advertising and such. And then uh, there's the physical location aspect when it comes to teams where you need stadiums and there's government contracts. It's It, it seems like a great realm to uh, have a lot of diversity of things to talk about. Absolutely. And you, you hit on a lot of the great issues and, and things we considered. Um, so I, there definitely will not be a, a lack of topics to have. Um, like I said, we kept it pretty broad this spring just to encourage more submissions with our first edition. Um, and to my, you know, we've had quite a few submissions already, and we're hitting peak submission season now. Um, so I expect we'll get even more, and uh, we're looking forward to having a really great first publication. I'm looking forward to see what the editors do next year um, for the topic that they choose for the spring publication. They'll have a little more time in the fall of 2022 to kind of put the call out there and have a couple more months to build up some submissions. Um, but there's so many topics to pick from. We really struggled. That was one of our <laughs> things. We're like, what do we do? What do we choose? So um, that was a really fun process as well. And what did you end up going with for this inaugural edition? Yeah. So for the inaugural edition, we're doing um, just intercollegiate athletics. So literally any topic that pertains to NCAA, amateurism a little bit, um, kind of like with the high school NIL stuff would be kind of included in that as well. But um, we kind of focused on submissions that will be on antitrust, um, transgender athletes' rights, um, and the due process issues that are um, currently there with states passing legislation. Um, also, critical race theory, how race relates to law, or sorry, race relates to sports and sports mm-hmm. law, um, as well as, like, I guess, I, I don't know if I already mentioned antitrust, but antitrust as well. We kind of <laughs> talked about that a minute ago. It's um, so big within NCAA, the monopoly issue there, potentially um, college conferences having those issues as well. Um, and then there's generally anything. Title IX as well is something that we're focusing on. But if the submission deals with um, intercollegiate athletics, it's definitely something we would want to consider. And I made a note of that as well. And I've had a couple authors reach out and say, hey, you know, I'm writing about this. You know, is that OK? And I'm like, as long as it pertains to college athletics in some you know, way, shape or form, we're, we're completely fine with accepting those submissions. Are you able to speak to some of the uh, topics that have already been submitted? Yeah, absolutely. So. Honestly, so far, the most of them have been on name, image, and likeness. That's just yeah. so pressing right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, but different variants of that. Some some more so on like the, the um, you know, the labor aspect, like are the athletes as employees, kind of that, that mm-hmm. angle, um, as well as just generally athletes' rights to have their name, image, and likeness that it belongs to them and, and how it's going to interact. Um, a couple on the uh, proposal of a federal name, image, and likeness bill have been submitted, which is been a topic I've written about in the past and something that I've been interested in as well is, you know, each state is passing their laws a little different. Yeah. The NCAA put out a memo last summer that was like two or three paragraphs with very loose guidance. Basically, like if your state has a law, follow it. If it doesn't, here's like yeah. three bullet points. So it's typical when it comes to this brand new legislation down a route that lawmakers, A, have never even heard of likely before this was brought to their attention. And B, there's no paper trail for anything like this except for at O'Bannon, which is a SCOTUS case. So it's not something that necessarily the states have really had a chance to dive into. And it, there's going to be a lot of uh, room for diving into how the different each state is going to be deciding. I, mm-hmm. I Personally, I'd be shocked if the feds decide to actually do anything. They're I like, so to touch this at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I think if it was going to happen, it probably would have. Yeah. There's been multiple proposals for a federal bill. Um, I just think there's... 
I, I think that the lawmakers think there's, a, and there probably is, you know, some other pressing issues they've been focusing on, and uh, they don't get so much done in the calendar year. Mm-hmm. But the states have acted very swiftly on it. You know, California was the first, and then Florida followed, I think, second, and they all moved their timelines up. Um, but it, I, I think it's definitely still being discussed, discussed at a federal level. I personally think it's lost a little bit of its steam. Last summer, I think there was really a push for it in the spring, but um, I haven't seen it as much in the it's headlines. So slow. It's the thing when it comes to, to lawmakers in various states is like New Hampshire, it's once or twice a year you get these big bursts of, uh, of committees meeting and everything. Yep. So it's been crazy here since uh, January 1st. And they're going to start probably this. I think they're actually in full session right now. So they'll be done here in the next couple of weeks. And it's, it's going to be dead. Like nothing. You're not going to hear anything. Exactly. It's, it's feast or famine. And I, and I remember speaking to that um, in our sports bidding class last winter, we had some speakers come in and, and we read about Louisiana was considering sports betting. I think they ultimately passed it, mm-hmm. but I was reading some articles about it for the discussion post and interacting with the class. And it was like, if this, if they don't approve it this session, we'll have to wait till next year. And that's when I, and I, and I kind of knew how it worked, but I, didn't, I guess I didn't realize how spaced out it was till you kind of yeah. get involved with research and the law. You're like, wow, like this is kind of like a make or break. If they mm-hmm. don't get this in, they won't have sports betting for another year or NIL rights example for another state. So from the federal level, it's even more difficult because it's, um, so much more spread out and you know it's so many other issues from federal level they're looking right. at it's, it's easier I think we can focus just on your state when it's a federal consideration there's so much more I think the potential can go into it and it can take a lot longer yeah and whatever the president wants to especially with the the federal level it's whatever the president wants to do basically gets the priority especially with the Biden administration it's like it was good luck getting name image likeness going from the federal level because of his big packages he was trying to push through so exactly I think it's also it's tough during a pandemic to get, oh, yeah. th- get you so know a little distracted <laughs> yeah, for, for people to focus on this and then, you know, it's, it's it's definitely been a process. So, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But that's kind of where we've been at on the submission. So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to a sports law conference this week in Atlanta and there's a lot of professors there. So I'm hoping I can speak with some of them and network. I've been going to this conference for a few years now, so I know most of them. So mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of them will be looking to submit and, and hopefully have some on collegiate athletics to kind of get some more submissions. But um, we're in a good spot and you know, I'm definitely looking forward to start working with some authors and, and getting these edits going. I have a great team with me and um, they've been really helpful as well, and they're excited to get working as well. That's so cool. Um, I mean, if if you had to, if you had a chance to interact with prospective students coming to UNH Franklin Pierce, for example, we do have the, this program, Sports and Entertainment Law Program. Uh, why would you? What would you tell them to encourage them to at least dip their toes into sports and entertainment law? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously for the students already coming here for sports and entertainment law, they've done their research. They know yes. Professor McCann and Professor Roberts, et cetera. They know, I don't need to sell right, it to them. Right. We, <laughs> they already know, right? That, like, well, that's why I came here, right? We already know. Um, but I, I've interacted with quite a few students throughout my time here over the last three years, uh, whether it be on Zoom or in person. Um, and I've, I've encouraged a lot of students just to take the class with Professor McCann, uh, Professor Dubay, Professor Roberts, um, the other classes that we have. And there's just so much of the sports law world that applies to every other course. And so I always say animal law and sports law are two great bar review classes to take if you're a 3L or 2L that's interested in the area. Because uh, Professor Morris with animal law, Professor McCann with sports law do such a great job of applying these instances mm-hmm. to something that deals with sports law, right? And so it could be a tort case. It could be an employment case. Um, there's so antitrust issues and so many different things, uh, mergers and acquisitions, like all these areas. And even like an admin of administrative uh, procedure standpoint, where these leagues kind of govern themselves with the CBAs and say, well, they have their own appeals process and there's some questions that have due process and different things. There's just so many areas it covers. Um, there's just so many careers that people don't know about. So right. I would encourage students to take these classes or come to a sports law event and see because people think, oh, 
you're gonna be the next Jerry Maguire, you're going to law school to be an agent, yeah. or you wanna work um, in compliance, but there's just so many different jobs. Like I said, I just there's mentioned There's public a lot of sector, them. there's private sector, there's working with the league, so you get to uh, corporate uh, corporate law basically with a lot of that. It's uh, lobbying is a huge aspect to it, especially if you, with uh, an aspect of being with the leagues alone, and you're talking intellectual property, because they, they have their, their uh, uh, their broadcast, their merch, and all things like that. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry in the United States. Absolutely, yes. I mean, a lot of the ones that, that I listed out, you know, for why to take the class, those are all jobs that have sports law interaction. And the great list you just gave as well. There's just so many things beyond being an agent or working in compliance or something like that. Um, you know, and I think it's just a really cool subject. I think a lot of people like sports, and so it's fun to take these classes because you're learning the law and you're learning fundamental issues that will be on the bar exam and present to you in your career as a, as a lawyer. But you're also going to talk about sports mm-hmm. and, and the pressing issues and the, and the current events. And Professor McCann especially does a great job in the classes I've taken with him with inter- introducing the, the pressing issues. You know, mm-hmm. So we'll have our syllabus, we'll have our reading, but we always talk about the important things and, and what's really going on. And I think you know, it's invaluable for students to see, okay, this is actually unfolding the media this way. Here's you know what's going on behind the scenes and how it's actually working from a legal standpoint, and that's why this is the answer to that. So I always, my friends always like ask me, like, oh, what is like, you know from a standpoint like, can you like, interpret like, just break it down for us, like, what does this mean like, as a fan, like, what does that mean? And yeah. I'm like, I'll do my best. Like, it kind of means this and that, and but they go, oh, what about a federal law? I'm like, well, there'll be you know the preemption with the federal NIL with the state laws, and like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's always fun, you know, to talk with your friends about it too and just explain. Yeah, you know, as you kind of understand it, what's going on. I think the sports law world is is really cool for that um, social interaction. So it's February of 2022. You're 3L. Where do you want to be in February of 2023? That's a great question. So um, my my longtime girlfriend, who's a graduate of the school, she works at a great intellectual property firm in Hartford, um, Connecticut. So I've been looking at firms in the Connecticut area and starting a network there with some of our alumni. Um, is reaching out to firms and also like in the New York City area too. Um, so kind of somewhere between New York and Connecticut is where I see myself hopefully uh, working with a firm doing some litigation that has some sports clients. My long-term goal is to litigate with a firm and, and see how things go. Um, and then maybe eventually end up in-house with a, with a team early down down the line as like a general counsel. But um, we'll see where life takes me. And you know, every, if you would ask me this question two years ago, I had a probably a completely <laughs> no, different answer, right? So that's the plan now, looking to litigate and um, hopefully have some sports clients. And I've, I've had the opportunity, thankfully, to work with some firms that have sports clients and interact with them. And I really enjoyed that work and I really like to litigate. So we'll see see where everything takes me. Well, best of luck on the on this new journal, and we really look forward to seeing what becomes of the first issue that will be coming out soon. Three old Dylan Harriger, thank you so much for joining me, and we'll put links to everything uh, that, you, that you want me to share in the episode description. Awesome. Thank you again so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You get the back episodes of the show and podcast links at law.unh.com. Edu slash podcast.